This is Coder Radio, episode 282 for November 6th, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining this week from the deep, deep south, down in Plant City, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. All I can promise Objective-C is a merciful death. <laughs> I don't think that's actually true. Actually, I mean, not to start off calling you a liar at the top of the show, but I don't think that's you true. Know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm going down with this square bracket shift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boy, it is a day, dude, of going down, by the way. Uh, whoa, whoa, oh, that uh, phrasing. Uh, Comcast is just... That would be a happy day. This is not that kind of day. It's a crap show over at Comcast land. Yeah. And, of course, uh, paying $300 a month for our fancy business line does nothing because we're actually yep. just still all going to the same crap hole that the consumers are. This is one of those days, Mr. Dominic. It's it's one of those days, but how are you handling the damn uh, daylight savings? How's that gone for you so far? How you doing with it? Well, with an 18-month-old, I no longer believe in sleep as a concept. Mm, mm-hmm, yeah. So y- your days are meaningless uh, right. constructs. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I've been told by parents that are further along in the process than you and I that it's uh, about 11 years in is when you when you get to start sleeping in on daylight savings. So. I'm convinced that this right I won't live that long. So great. <laughs> I'm Listen, I'm going down with the last Objective CX code project. Oh, oh boy! All right, so about uh, three years. So we have um, oh, 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 <laughs> savage. We have a batch oh. of feedback right here at the top of the show, which we haven't done in a while, and it feels like putting on a nice, comfy pair of gloves. And then we got some hoopla, and then we're going to talk about PWAs, uh, which I guess we're going to explain what PWAs are, and then uh, talk about some that are coming soon. And the little open source of the week towards the end of the show, if time permits, all time permitting. It's Pop OS from Sifton76. <laughs> right, right. Um, so let's start with uh, the first bit of a little bit of feedback that came in. You ready? You want to do it now? Do it live. All right. So the new one, the first one, new devs, a new dev that hates Android says, I love the show. I've been listening for six months uh, since I first got into podcasts. I wish I was OG listener. But I'd like, some ad- I'd like some advice. Here's my background. I did some EE and some CS. Now, Mr. Dominic, do you want to break down EE and CS for the uh, audience at home? Electrical engineering, computer science, respectively. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. And uh, what, what, about, uh, what about the STEM degree? Uh, do, do you want to get into that, too? Science, technology, <laughs> engineering, mathematics. Uh-huh. You're killing me here. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. I spent a while in an unrelated industry, then really wanted to be a developer. So I picked up Android, and I got a job, and I've been here for six months. Life is good. The advice that I want is two parts. First, I love being an engineer. I love being an engineer. I love it. It just feels awesome to have the ability to create products from scratch. Uh, I want to be a great engineer. So my question is, how do I go about doing that? I know that this is broad, so please note that since my previous gig was retail, I, I actually feel like I have things like communication, pragmatism, teamwork, customer focus, and thinking about the big picture already down. So my question specifically what advice do you have to improve my ability as an engineer? What books do you feel are important? And what daily habits? All right, so that's, he's got two questions for us. You want to stop there and answer that one? Because it's like a two, it's like a, it's like a twofer. He's, he's going for the two-bird approach. You know what? I want to play a game where Chris goes first. Okay, all right. Well, boy. I always go first. You know, I, was, I would say uh, start by, if you can, take an apprenticeship of some degree. It doesn't have to be like a formal apprenticeship but just someone that you can you could mirror and and or not mirror but um like job shadow is probably the better phrasing like like someone who wears a black clove (laughs) and is like super down with droid armies oh i'm sorry i'm exactly like that's how you get started um you you learn like some of the hard lessons they've learned via osmosis instead of having to learn them yourselves but more importantly you get a sense of what really matters and what doesn't you get a sense of the behaviors and the patterns i think that would probably be a start i mean there's books you can read there's probably subreddits you could hang out on and there's youtube videos you could watch but i don't think any of it would come close to 
actual apprenticeship style training. It's hard to, it's hard, I know, the reason why I hesitate with that is because it's such an easy thing to say, and it's such a hard thing to get. And I'd say the way you get it is you have to find a situation in which you can make yourself valuable and worth someone's time. Because anybody that's worth being trained by is probably bit too busy to be bothered. So you're going to have to come up with a way to be valuable to make it worth their time. Um, I heard a great story this morning, actually. Uh, it was... Uh, it was about the uh, – do you know that, that famous photo of Steve Jobs where uh, – the one that they put up on Apple.com where it's, it's all white behind him. He's got his thumb on his chin and he's like looking towards – in forward in, and looking at the camera. That might have been what was on the biography, the Walter Isaacson biography. Yeah, there's a too. young one and an old one, right? They, they did the same photo twice. Yeah, so the photographer that took the original one uh, told the story just recently about how he took it. And it, it's a good – it's a good marketing trick. And it's a good trick for anyone who's super busy and really va- evaluates or really values their time, and you need a little bit of it. And so I, I thought I'd pass it along to the audience, and that is when Steve Jobs came in to get his photo taken, he had already been prearranged you know, through Apple PR that, that this photographer, this world-famous photographer too, he was photographing all of the powerful people, quote-unquote, in the world. That was like this thing he was doing. <clears throat> and so they got an hour of Steve's time. And Steve walks in to take his, his photo taken. You can already tell Steve's a little like, all right, let's just do this. Let's just get this over with. I got, I got shit to do today. So the photographer starts talking to Steve and he says, hello, Mr. Jobs. I, I understand I have an hour with you today. And Steve says, yeah, that's right. And the guy says, okay. Well, I think if, uh, I think if we try, we can get this done in a half hour. And he says that Steve just sort of looked right at him and lit right up and got totally committed to the idea after that. And uh, they, he, he said in total they had it done in 22 minutes. And Steve was totally cooperative. He was all on board all of a sudden. And it was this little trick. It was, it was a trick, but it was also a social cue to say, I really, I really respect and value your time, and I recognize that, so I'm going to try to make this as fast as possible for you. And once you even have that common ground, someone who's super busy but still has a little curiosity is going to be inclined to, to give a little more than they might have. And so that might, if you, can, if you could take that lesson... And if you could apply that somehow to getting in with somebody who would be worth learning from, I think that'd be a great way to start because engineering is, it's not just knowledge. Being an engineer is a mindset. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of solving problems. It's a way of building. Uh, And it is really great to have all the communication, pragmatism, teamwork, customer focus, and all that down. But if you're not thinking like an engineer, if you're not analyzing problems and solving like an engineer, then you're never going to be a great engineer. And the only way to do that is to be around other engineers. That's my personal opinion. Do you want to add or should we move on? I like it. I like it. I mean, I would I, I would possibly add a few things, right? Like there's no substitute for time, unfortunately. You're never going to get there without getting there, which is a dumb thing to say, but sadly true. Uh, there's the, the other thing I found interesting was like not liking Android. You're probably not in a position where you could really have super cogent opinions about anything at this point, right? Um. I mean, you think Android's frustrating? Try some iOS code signing. It's great, <laughs> uh, and I mean old school code signing, not the new thing where Xcode does half of it for you. Try memory management in old school C plus <laughs> plus oh, and Objective yeah. C. <laughs> you sound like an old man. Well, this is the thing. It's like okay, so you're frustrated, but that's like you're going to spend the rest of your life frustrated if you continue down this path. Well, and I'll tell you this too. It's very often particularly true with development. Any tool or whatever it is, maybe in this case it's Android, that you get really familiar with, you eventually start seeing its cracks. You start seeing all the really things that annoy you about it. But the truth is they all the platforms, all the operating systems, they all have their own problems. Right. They, they all suck in their own unique and amazing way. Um, you know, as Chris knows very well from using Linux all the time, this that hurts. Yeah, Although no, we, we did have to reboot into Windows 7 for this show, but that doesn't happen. When's Windows the last 8. time we had to do that? It's been ages since we've had to do that. That's... It's only been like three weeks. <laughs> you bastard. You bastard. <laughs> Speaking of open yeah, source. I would say oh, stick with it, right? No, I, w- I would say stick with it. You know, If you don't like Android and you just want to be an iOS developer and that makes you happy, go ahead and do it. But, you know... Things are tough all over. Yeah, right. Yeah, you just got you do got to make sure you do the thing you enjoy. That way, you'll have passion and drive to do it. So, if that's iOS, then do that. It's at the end of the day when you're dead. Uh, I hate using that phrase and and that and that, and that sort of uh, overdone analogy. But when you're dead, none of that's going to matter. It doesn't matter if you did iOS or Android. It's just going to matter that you created something. That's not true. That's not true. 
All Swift developers go to hell. Okay. All right. <laughs> My bad. Good clarification there. Dasani writes in. Uh, he says, Coder Radio, on the topic of Coder Radio and selling floss, uh, Michael Dominic, the issue is you went with Angular instead of Ember. Ember kept everything consistent and still attained performance gains through Glimmer. That co- uh, that That's because it comes from Rails ecosystem who value stable interfaces and minor changes and smooth transitions. So I guess he's responding to Angular versus this is an Angular problem versus an open source ecosystem problem. So once again, I am like the dude in the Divine Comedy. I'm Dante. I have two roads ahead of me, and I go for the one in the dark cave that is leading directly to hell. And pain. Fantastic. And pain. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, let me just whip out my Xamarin's form app, and uh, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll complete this set. I'm sorry. Can we make this call on your RT tablet? I'm sorry. Let me get some uh, Real Basic going here, too. Oh, RT. Did you just say RT? Wait, did you ever play with Real Basic? No, I, I no, yeah, of course okay. not. I mean, you have some sense. I have a little bit of self-respect. <laughs> um, but I, but I did heavily invest in Windows RT, as you like to remind me on a weekly basis. Yeah, I'm still, wait, I'm still waiting for the uh, for the uh, um, Alice Journal con- Windows. No, yeah. the Alice Control Panel designed for the iPad Pro specifically. That's what I'm waiting for. Oh, another 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 one where I can hit right out of the park, huh? Twelve point nine inch. Yeah. No, it's uh, although Alice has a Russian sister now, which is frustrating. Oh, really? Oh, yes. That took uh, well. I guess actually took about uh, two weeks longer than I expected. I mean, really, let's be honest. It took him a little while to catch on this time. Vlad must be busy these days. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Is it's it like, like a? Version. Is it like essentially a ripoff? No, it just happens to be the same name. They're they're ripping oh, off Siri. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Gosh, I wonder. Didn't. Didn't, don't you think Alice? That could be a thing. You know, that could that that seems like a name people are going to go for. I'm. It's, something well, about it's it. one of those things where because of the public domain aspect mm. of Lewis Carroll, mm. it is very very hard for anyone to try to like. I see. You know, claim it, but it's uh, which is why one of the reasons we did it because we're small, right? Do you feel like it's really going to be much of an issue, or I mean, because it's probably serving a different market, right? Oh, uh, it definitely screwed up our SEO. Oh yeah, yeah. mm Hmm. Mm, the big is. Russian Google, you type Alice, you get them now, sure, which is course. frustrating. Of course. Yeah, so I wish I had voted for Clinton. Anyway. Let's so we have a uh, paste bin disaster here because I think it's a good one. I can't, I can't tell because if you look at it, I think paste bin cut it off. But uh, Peter had some feedback on Agile uh, and he said – and it gets cut off though. But it says, I liked your coverage um, and it was – and was great – but then it cuts off after that. Maybe you just wanted to say that, but I have a sense there was more to it. Do you remember what it was? Pace bin disaster. Crap. Yeah. Um, was he just going to say we're totally right about everything and that he just thinks that's great? That's probably what he's going to say, right? Statistically, that's <laughs> definitely not the case. So you know, you know what's kind of funny? Unless you don't, unless unless you find it, I just I, I've been playing around with the Nintendo 2DS. Ugh, I love it. You know that thing ships with uh, augmented reality? <laughs> Does it really? It came out in like 2014 or something. You know that? And it comes with like augmented reality cards and it has augmented reality games. <laughs> it has two cameras for depth sensing. Um, and this is like their cheapo $90 little handheld game thing. Now, how about that? That is really nice. So I found the original thing. All right. So Peter recommends a book for us, The DevOps Handbook by Kim Green. Oh, okay. Um, it is a book I have actually also read, and it's it's not bad just for kind of getting processes in place. It's one of those books that's full of great advice, but nobody has the budget to actually do that stuff like automated testing. So, yeah. Thank okay. you, Peter. I will toss a link to that in the uh, show nizzles. Um, looks like it's uh, 10 bucks on Kindle, 20 bucks paperback, or Audible. It's on Audible, too. Well, yeah, look at that. Jeez, that's the kind of thing you got to wonder how that would how that would hold up in audio format. But uh, I don't know. Should we? Let's find out. In this chapter, an introduction to the underpinning theory of lean manufacturing is presented, as well as the three ways. Whoa! The principles from which all of the observed DevOps behaviors can be derived. Oh! <laughs> Our focus here is primarily on theory and principles. Okay. Describing many decades of lessons learned from manufacturing high-reliability organizations, high-trust management models, and others, from which DevOps practices have been derived. 
That's an interesting theory. I like that. That'd be, uh, if I was in the right mindset, that'd be a really valuable book to listen to. All right. Well, thank you, Peter. That's, uh, that's pretty good stuff there. I, I like that. I like that kind of thing. <clears throat> you know, Mr. Dominic, I came out last week on uh, Linux Unplugged, and I admitted that uh, I've been using Ubuntu 16.04 as my main operating system now. I heard I was listening, you elderly bastard. I know, I know. And uh, I, I'm going to come on this show, and I'm going to be bold enough to say, if you are considering beginning to experiment with Linux, and you listen to Coda Radio, I, I want to strongly encourage you to go with Ubuntu 16.04, and use the Unity desktop, and just write out the next couple of years for Linux, because there's major transitions coming, Wayland is going to be a, a big change for Linux. There's still a lot of things like NVIDIA support that need to land, There's still which is going to screw up a lot of projects people might have and make their desktop not as nearly pretty. Plus, on top of that, you're going to have more development time for GNOME with Canonical and other companies' participation. So not, it's just going to improve. And the Unity desktop is perfectly solid and stable now. I'm using it. I feel very confident in saying this because I'm using it on six systems now. And uh, I, I used it heavily over the weekend under, like, gaming and all kinds of different different use cases and uh, really solid, really polished. You can tell a ton of work went into it. And I hadn't used it very extensively for a long time. Since I switched to Arch, I basically stopped using it. And then I came back recently, and I used GNOME right away because I was trying out 17.10. I just never even considered Unity until I did a kind of a, a little, like, sanity check here in the studio. And we reviewed all the systems, performance, and crashing. And the system that had been the most stable without without a single issue, was our 16.04 with Unity. And uh, I thought, well, why aren't we considering that, I, th- I thought. And so we, we rolled it out. I'm centrali- I've centralized the management of all of it in their landscape system, so it makes it super easy to install patches and do inventory for all of them. So if you, don't, if you have a few machines and that's things that you want, like if you, have a little, if you have like a little inventory management system, like nothing major, this would be perfect. It could just replace that, uh, which is what I'm going to do here at JB. Is I'm just going to use that for all of our inventory management for tax purposes and everything. It's great. So anyways, landscape with... I'm just giving that a full plug. And Mr. Dominic, if you get a point where you need to reload a system over there, because I noticed you're on the MacBook today, I, I want you to give it a consideration. I think it's a really great workstation OS. I agree that it is. 1604. Only 1710's good, but 1604 has just been a rock. I'm still on Pop OS 1704. Sixteen oh four. Oh, pop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Seventeen. Yeah, oh, which 17, is effectively 10. seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seventeen. 10. No, seventeen oh four. So why the Mac then today? Is everything working okay with the? Uh... No, I was just working in Xcode. Oh, oh, okay. So there's yeah, no yeah. scandal. There's no scandal. All right. Well, then we move on. I've imparted my advice, but I wanted to particularly recommend it to the Coda Radio audience because the Linux Unplugged audience, they're more going to be. I mean, there's a lot of crossover, but the people that listen to that show and don't listen to the show, I would imagine, are more like mainstream Linux enthusiasts that want to run the latest and greatest. Plasma desktop or GNOME or Enlightenment or whatever it might be, whereas this des- this audience might be more inclined to just want to build a workstation and not touch it for five years and just m- just make stuff on it. And uh, I think it's a great OS for that. And that's what I'm going to be doing. And I might hop to 1804 if it's looking great and then just ride it for five years and let all of that desktop stuff settle, settle itself out. Just settle itself out. In the meantime, you can settle to yourself out over at Linux Academy. This is a great way to learn more at your own speed. And they can help you set goals and set time frames, and they can work with you when you're crazy busy. It's a platform to learn more about Linux and every single thing around Linux. DevOps topics, OpenStack, big, big OpenStack news this week. You can get started at Linux Academy. They have really great, I mean, I got to say, I've never seen better. Uh, courseware on AWS, the, just the, the best AWS courseware I've ever seen. And Azure courseware that, for what I need, really helped me learn the basics. I, I'm not like an Azure expert, so I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't sort of shopped as much with that, but I was really impressed with the Azure stuff as well. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. That's where you go to get hands-on labs, scenario-based trainings. Ooh, think about that. Gives you real experience. So that way when you go do the stuff in production, you know what the hell you're doing. And <laughs> Talk about the engineer's mindset. Actually try it first before you go implement it. Instructor mentoring, like real human beings that can help you if you ever get stuck. They have stuff you can download offline if you're going to have Comcast issues like I've been having all day, including iOS and Android apps and uh, a course scheduler. And the flashcard system is pretty great because if you're getting ready for a certification exam, you can use this flashcard system that gets modified and improved by the community as they go test and come back. 
So it's really a good resource. And then they have public profiles where you can document the work you've done to show an employer or a potential client or for your resume. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there, support the show, and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. <clears throat> you know what? And thank you to Linux Academy very, very much for sponsoring this here Coder Radio program. Coder Radio, or I, I should say Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Okay, so we have... Uh, <laughs> Wow, that's quite the headline. I just read it for the first time because I don't, I don't think that matched what you had in the doc. You're fi- you fired your top talent, and I hope you're happy. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that makes me laugh. What's this about? Yes, yeah, so we had an article or post or whatever in the show about a month ago or a few weeks ago where a startup mm-hmm. was extolling the virtues of firing your top developers. Yeah, or your, right? uh, your A-team. or what are they, Is that what they call them? No, your super, your rock star developers or something. Like how they something like it. that. Yeah. yeah, fire your runner, whatever. And, you know, it's always easy to get one side of the story and see things one way. And then if you get a different perspective, perhaps things aren't nearly as cut and dry. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, oh, is this actually connected to the original story? So this person does not claim to be connected to the original ah, story. okay. <laughs> but I love it. I have a conspiracy theory that there's some connection. You're frying but, your own bacon on this one. I think it's great. Right. Yeah, I'm frying. I'm frying some uh, Florida bacon. It's actually from an alligator. Alligator bacon. Ooh, I bet that's um, awful, actually, but interesting. Actually, alligator like deep fried is like popcorn chicken. Really oh, good, I don't but... mind. I don't mind a little alligator at all. A little alligator gumbo. No, but I'm just thinking. You know what makes bacon good is fat. And if you don't, if... that's true. Alli- he's the alligator is a very lean sort yeah. of individual. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. So there's so much here and so little time. Let's just do the highlights. Um, so this is kind of a rebuttal, right? Like what could have possibly caused the person who, you know, was fired to become the way they were. And frankly, I see a lot of myself in this on all sides of the equation, right? It's really easy to like just punt things to like your senior dude. It's okay. Well, you handle this now, right? Like, great, here you go. And just, like, assume it's going to be fixed, right? Assume whatever it is, right? The project, the bug, whatever. And I, I don't want to be too overdramatic, but the image you got from the original post was, you know, this guy became a jerk, and so they fired him. And the image you get from this rebuttal is the managers were basically Nero watching Rome burn, but didn't realize it because this guy was putting out enough fires for them, right? Now, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Like, if you read the comments of this, it is definitely the responsibility of someone who's at a senior director level to, like, say something when, like, processes aren't working. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to crucify the management and say, well, you, you didn't know. Well, really, that's not management. And this is something I've had to learn myself. Like, it's really not the job right to be in the middle of each the details of every project it's more your job to like deal with relationships and you know sales and all that kind of fun like happy marketing crap but on the other hand you have to have like some basic like summary of what's going on right like the way and this is a, a challenge i currently have like i'm trying not to be down in the tickets right i'm trying to be but i do need a summary that like makes sense should someone call me and ask me a question does that does that track so far Yep, and I like this quote here, uh, which so I because I think what I think what you're trying to get to is there's two sides of this story, and um, sometimes the environment can create that rock star, like it, you that they they are a, they are a product of their environment in a sense. If you have if you have someone that everyone goes to, like they have a quote here, anytime anyone had a question about code or needed help with a task, they'd go to Rick. Rick had a giant whiteboard installed in his office. And he used it only for this purpose. And it always was cluttered with ghosts of past discussions that wouldn't quite erase. Anytime there was a particularly challenging problem, Rick would handle it. And that's sort of probably where it starts, right there. Which, I, you know, um, is a product that then creates that very product. Because the, the structure of the... Excuse me. The, the, the structure of the company sort of creates that issue, in a sense. The structure of the company creates the demand on this employee, which sort of puts them in that position. I guess maybe I'm maybe I'm 
maybe I'm defending them a little bit because I feel like maybe I've been in this position from time to time. Uh, not, but I haven't tried to be a dick, but you know, I have, I have kind of been the person that everybody goes to. So yeah, that's my, so sure. You're sure. I, more and more, I, I'm unsympathetic to see. Like, okay, the original one wants you to be like, "Look how awesome we are. We're, you know, we're making a more egalitarian environment." And like, ultimately, that doesn't matter, right? Um, and then this one's like, "Look how horrible these guys are. They're abusing their top developer." That also doesn't matter, right? Because if he's so senior and so good, he could just walk at any point. There's very little you can do about that. Hmm. Okay. Well, what what I what I see here is just like there are no good guys in the story. It's the yeah, way it's been, with, yeah. Kind of report, right? The managers are very detached, and they're I would say overly detached. And this developer does sound like I mean, from both accounts, a little bit of a prima donna, right? Like he wants things down to the details his way, which is a common character flaw in people yeah, in our industry. It is. And here's like, the thing. So here's another thing. So here's another quote. Uh, Soon Rick stopped attending meetings. Rick didn't have time for meetings anymore because there was too much to code. Rick closed his door. His whiteboard lay unused. Rick no longer had time to train anyone because he had too much to solve on his own. Uh, and so when you get in that position, you need details. You need the specifics because you don't have time to go back to the person to get the way you need or in the format that you need. You got to, you know. The problem with that is if there are so many nitpicky details that aren't documented or in some way systemized, if Rick, to use the pseudonym they're using here, gets struck by lightning tomorrow, then the company is forced either into yeah. Yeah. a rewrite or right. possibly insolvency, Right. Yeah, that's why I'd say again, it's a structure thing. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be. If you, if that's isn't this where a good PMO or a good team manager would recognize that this was happening on their team and then build a team around that person or or, or create the flow in a way that it didn't right. overwhelm so, that person. I mean, there's a lot of things here, right? Like having one super senior guy and having him try to train train junior people is hard, right? Like having junior people at all is is, is super super hard. Um, he points out, in fact, I just I just scrolled down a little bit further. Uh, management never came in and demanded that Rick take a step back and start documenting anything. Management never uh, noticed that uh, Rick's ticket and bug load and said, geez, we should really get somebody okay, to distribute but, but, this. But, but management is not Rick's mother. No, right? management like, is responsible for the best of the company. And this is going on for, like, according to him, two years. For the profitability <clears throat> right. of the operations and of the, the company. They're not responsible op- for the well-being of the individual. No, but they are responsible for the continued operation of the company. And like you're using your lightning example, if I, for example, was seeing somebody that was that, that, that critical, I'd be like, geez, yeah, we definitely need to either A, take the load off, or B, get him some underlings, or C... I would say at least have a conversation with the person. Okay, so it's just, so much, so, it's just too much risk. Right. No, no, it's too much risk otherwise. I think it's I think it's worth it to go over all three paths, right? A, take a load off. How? Well, that would probably see. So one thing he mentions in this article is they did have like a ticket and bug system. So that's where you could actually derive real metrics of Rick's workload in this scenario. And so you're saying just just delay the tickets, just no, no, triage them. No, I'm, no, I'm saying that's where you could start to get data from. Like that's that would be your starting point to say, okay, like how much work is this guy really doing? Right, right. So, but they have that, right? So they have the data. I don't like think they ever looked to. at it, though. He's saying they never they never even reviewed it. They never bothered to consider that. I think this is worth running through. Let's say you have the data. Okay. And and you and you've decided to look at it, which I, I don't think really he's asserting that he's saying they didn't care. There's a difference between ignorance and not caring, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, um, like he's accusing them of being capricious, not you know negligent. Like, so you have the data. You see that Rick has eighty hours worth of tickets in in a seven day period, right? In a in a, in a terrestrial week, in one normal week, Monday to Sunday. What do you do? Like, what is the Chris Fisher solution to that problem? It would probably depend on the nature of the critical. Can you give me a nature of the tickets? Like, is it like a crash? Let's say this is your marquee project. If this project fails, you may as well file Chapter Eleven. To me, it would seem to be obviously. What the hell is anybody else on the team doing? 
Really, it'd okay. probably be a staff. So it's probably a staffing, huh? Okay. Maybe it might so lead to that. Maybe or replacing. Uh, that could be a thing. Um, I don't know. It'd be the nature. It'd probably be the nature of the problem, right? Because if it's something that's developed in house, then are the people that are developing it originally having the issue? Is Rick the one creating the original code errors? Like, where's what's the origination of the problem? That's why I was saying the tickets I might know give that you. Rick the, didn't cause the problem by being a pitch, picky bitch. Right. That's what I'm saying. The tickets might Did give Rick you the data because like specific database schemas and stuff like that. If you were able to look at the nature of the issues. Right. Then, All right. but there could be, it could be staffing. It could be that Rick needs a team. It could be that your PMO needs to be fired. It could just be that you need to have an assistant that interfaces with this stuff for Rick, gets it prepared the way he needs it. You think there could be a lot of different ways to address the issue, but you got to know the nature of the problem. All right. So your B was hire some underlings for Rick. What did you call them? Grunts or whatever? Probably. What so. was your. Just some yeah. staff. You're staffing, you know, get them some... I have found that that basically doesn't work. Perhaps, yeah. I could just, just in like a very practical perspective. Yeah. Unless those underlings are like just a senior or very close to Rick in experience. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're not useful. Because then, Rick, you know, Rick then has to like train them. Yeah, bad. that takes time away from Rick. I, would, I wish, it, I wish and, and, this person and, shared and, like what the nature of all of this unbelievable amount of work was. I almost don't... I don't that's the part I don't buy is the amount of work that he had. Because, you know, where's the personal responsibility to say, hey, that's too much? I still think two years in, right. I think it was failure of management. I think right. in two years, in two years, it's failure of, manage- failure of management. But six months in, this guy should have been raising red flags. You know, he stopped going to meetings. That might have been the time to say, hey, uh, this is beyond what I can handle anymore. It's almost like his own pride prevented him from asking for right. the help the that he needed. The more useful thing would be to go to the meetings and just bitch incessantly. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Just like... Don't be nice. Like, drop all pretense of politeness. Like, just like, this will not get done. I think deferred responsibility and the need to drive profit and keep the cost down does sort of inherently create this person in a company because the structures are right for it because nobody's going to yes. take responsibility for this guy's yes. behavior this guy himself has got too much pride to say anything plus it's there is a there's a certain social advantage to being that rock star character in a company and it's cheaper to have this one guy doing all of that work than hiring three or four people to do that so work. i would argue that the managers of the company made a deal with the devil and the devil's name is rick actually yeah, and they they got Rick two years. Rick has so and much ownership of this project, so much domain knowledge that only Rick can do the work. Now. Yeah, yeah, that is a thing. I have seen that a lot. The managers have no way to rein Rick in, even for Rick's own good, right? Because if Rick up and quits, they're sunk. Yep. Yeah, this That's happens like so much. Over. This is happens in development. This happens in in system building. This is a real thing. People build a palace, and then they're the only ones that can maintain it. And they get basically contract work for the rest of uh, that business's existence. They go. They. I have worked in many places where the IT guy quit, and then the company there had to, had a contract with the person because, well, he hand wrote the thing. Um, even like even like firewalls, entire firewalls that are custom homebrew implementations that handle VPNs and antivirus updates that only this person created their white box machines and now they did it while they're there as an it and now they're paying them they're paying them every single month it's a real right. problem is they this, can't get off of it no nope, right. it's this deal with the devil because the business is now the business runs around it and it, so, it it's just so like in a lot of ways rick is doing whatever rick wants to right like this guy wrote this post and is like trying to be rick's hero but rick could just say this can't get done Rick says he got played like a fiddle. A fiddle, sorry. Said he got burned you know, out. You say that after the fact, right? Everybody's the hero of their own story. Rick's now damaged goods. His ass has been kicked to the curb, and the and uh, he's uh, just left ashamed. That original article really hurt his feelings because they said it was the best decision they ever made. But at the end of the day, they lost someone with tons of domain-specific knowledge, someone who worked with clients to prototype the requirements they desired, and ended up being forced to ship an inferior product with even more of, pu- of pushback. As they reinvented Rick's work, complaining about the shitty code. All the while, they remained totally obvious to the burdens this man was bearing to keep it all together. Whoa. Holy shit. Yeah. That's- you know what the problem is, is these people take their work way too seriously. <laughs> that's really the problem. People need to go on a hike. <laughs> that's what's up. People need to go out and go in the Pacific Northwest and go for a hike for a good solid two hours and just relax a little bit. Jesus. 
I mean, this guy's created a whole hallucination to explain the, the strife that he went through. This is the strife of his era now. This is really intense. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you see, you're much more like forgiving here than I am, I think. I, I, you think this guy's a full-on psychopath? I think everybody's just like operating on their incentives, right? Always, yeah. And then you, you retroactively retro- like, justify it by making up. Rick's incentives are just like stupid, and he just like wants to be a prima donna. Really, right. like, but the company's incentive, the management's incentive, is obviously like not to go bankrupt. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And not yeah, to psychoanalyze this guy, but I mean, he he may be a bit of a dick, and then he may be retroactively justifying what he did to himself, so that way he comes out to be a good guy in the story. It's a possibility. It's also well, it doesn't matter, right? I, mean, I, I think there like is value in this because there is a real problem that keeps happening in organizations. So I have, um, I have, I just want to touch on my experience just really briefly because I have absolutely been several times over in the position where I was the person that had the absolute domain knowledge about how something was built or how all the applications connected together or just all these different little esoteric things that always required my consultation for new vendor application setups or any kind of really anything. I mean, anybody who's worked in, in this industry for a while understands what I'm talking about. I don't need to go on. Uh, and I I felt a real like like sure shit responsibility to like not screw that up, to not screw the company up, to constantly try to make it in a way that didn't require my, my existence. And I didn't always succeed at it because it's just a lot of work. And, uh, you know, that's then it always, the thing is, it always made it harder to quit too. It always made it harder to quit. And that was always the thing is then I got strapped with this guilt about quitting every single time I had to quit. And it always meant I, I conceded too much on my exit on how long I'd make myself available and how much, how much training I do for, you know, pro bono and all that stuff. Um, because I, I I felt guilty about not properly documenting, even though I had every intention to do it. So I just I do have some compassion for this guy, I guess. But yeah, I, I think you I think your assessment's probably probably fair. Um, oh, good TechCrunch. Let's go to this one. Why the end of the startup era could be great for entrepreneurs. Oh boy, that, I I could see this. Um, three prominent tech thinkers recently declared the end of the startup era, which we covered recently here on the show, and then questioned the future of tech innovation generally and heralded the rise of the Fightful Five, which is Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, and Microsoft, who will dominate the future of tech. All of the posts make credible arguments but ignore how consolidation could go good, even great, for startups. So what grabbed you about this? Uh, It's actually insane. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, so the whole premise of this is like because the big five are just buying up companies that you can like totally structure your startup to be sold to them. So this is a real thing um, that's just even getting more bananas than ever. Uh, I just watched yeah. a YouTube video last night with Casey Neistat, and I can't remember the guy that he co-founded Beam with. And uh, the interview specifically had several questions around. What's your best strategy to structure your company so it can get acquired eventually? What should your should your time frame be longer than six months? Should it be two years? And then how do you begin talking about selling your company without saying you're going to sell your company because you don't want to undervalue it? So how do you basically lie to potential pe- pe- purchasers and uh, make it look like you're trying to raise funds when you're really looking to sell the company? Like this is all things that are like becoming common sales tactics almost for these companies. Like they have people that are dedicated to working with them to sell their company and they are they start working with them from the beginning. It's it's amazing. Like listening to how Beam ended up getting sold, I realized it was way more than anything than just like some impulse purchase. It's like that it's like that dumb uh that episode of Silicon Valley when they bring in Action Jack Barker, right? Yes. It's like <laughs> I will never devalue the product of the company and like an episode later which is like, you mean the algorithm? No, you idiot, the stock. Yeah. Right? Like that's it's all bullshit like yeah yeah so he says the 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 sphere right here the top of it is the king or geez today's not my day i haven't had coffee the kind of industry consolidation we see with the frightful or fightful depending on your view uh, the, the fightful the frightful five isn't uh, new to tech it's the norm in most industry industries and, and can actually spur innovation the pharmaceutical and packaged food industries are heavily consolidating but they have thriving startup scenes. So I guess 
maybe he's talking about Whole Foods there. doesn't make examples. Uh, I'll give you this. It does seem like if you had Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, and Google all dominating uh, AI and automation and cloud hosting and all the kind of services, it seems like it does leave room for people who are more nimble and more agile uh-huh, to uh, create a product that they couldn't create. I mean, it's not a hit, but look at the Essential phone. It is an example of things that Apple can't do at scale. There's just certain things that Apple can't even pull off. And look at them trying to ship the iPhone 10. They can't get the iPhone 10 out the door because, you know, they they have problems working at scale. Their huge amount of sales is actually a hindrance to creating a new type of product. I bet you if they didn't have to sell so many damn phones, they'd be they'd probably be making a ceramic iPhone instead of a glass one. So there is some some truth to it. You look at Tesla, right? Another example. Would Tesla even exist if it wasn't for the slow anemic competitiveness of the large auto industry? Tesla sort of stands out because it's not it's it's a sort of this new hip startup from e- well and and you know epic marketing. Right, good yeah. relationships you know, it's got Elon Musk on there and stuff like that. It yeah, I know. Like, right, yeah. yeah. But, you know, Ford had Henry Ford and other companies have had different spokes. I just, I yeah, think I in know. a way there could be some logic to it, but I I don't know. I think, I mean, it's, I think analogy so, is... So it's definitely a path that is open-er. But, yeah, right? Like, it's... It reminds me of that old movie, or not old, but the 80s movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, when you're like selling fake land, right? With, uh, what was it? Um, Jack Lemmon and uh, Alec Baldwin. And, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't. It sounds great. Always be closing. A, B, C. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like, It's that's just like thing. a bull. So, so then like the entire like product of the entire company is basically a mirage, right? Which is a little depressing. Yeah. The tech industry, they say, is maturing. Right. So, so actually, let, let's 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 dig into this a little more because, you know, we only have a couple minutes left and save the PWAs. For All right. Well, week. let me give you a DigitalOcean spot then, okay? And give so me that's the your deal. Tease. That's your tease right there, DigitalOcean.com. You go over there, you create an account, and you use our promo code, CODERDIGITAL. That gives you a $10 credit. Now, with $10 at DigitalOcean, you can get pretty far. My favorite system is $0.03 cents an hour. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. All their systems have SSD storage, 40 gigabit connections to the hypervisor, out to the internet. Private networking is available, which doesn't use your bandwidth. And they have block storage you can attach as you need it. I recently spun up a system, installed X2Go, and then attached 100 gigabyte block storage to my system. So that way I have that dedicated for my home. And yeah, it's all SSDs. They also just launched Spaces, their new object storage. And it's this is a game changer. You can go check it out. Go to digitalocean.com, use our promo code Coder Digital, you get a ten dollar credit. And they're offering a two month free trial with object storage for like I don't know, I wanna say still for this month. I haven't actually checked. Let me go check. I'm saying that in a high pitched voice. Because I don't Yes, it's still available for two months for free. Phew. Digitalocean.com, you go over there, you use our promo code Coder Digital. You apply our promo code. That'll give you just a $10 credit. Boom, immediately. Code digital. Boom. You're set. Good. Okay. Now you can get a DigitalOcean droplet going, but you could also go sign up for Spaces and stack that $10 promo with two free months of Spaces. This is a good time to do this. DigitalOcean.com. You go over there. You try them out. It's like nothing you've ever used before. A dashboard for days. Tons of services right there built in. Beautifully integrated. No problem to manage and documentation to cover all the gaps at tons of different distros to choose from. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, and thank you to everybody out there for using our promo code CODERDIGITAL. All right, so we will park the PWAs. <laughs> sorry, Paul Therott. And uh, let's dig in a little more. Go ahead, Mr. Dominic. I, sorry I had to interrupt, but... Uh, yeah, no, so, so the field is definitely much more competitive than than it was, right? Um, and I'm wondering if this just is a bad adaptation to a more hostile environment. Hmm. Or maybe bad, bad, bad as a judgment, or maybe actually this is a... Uh, you know, unfortunate adaptation, right? a necessary adaptation. Like, yeah. Do you think someone could found another Apple today and be successful? No, I don't really know. I don't think that. All right, another Google? No. Facebook? 
Maybe. Maybe there might be a crack uh, there. Uh, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be. It's gonna have to be a different category of products again. We're gonna have these are gonna be. You know your 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 GMs and your and you, you know your companies that just stick see, around forever. Okay, see that, but there's a big difference here, right? If you want to open a car company, you didn't have to build your car company on GM's infrastructure. I think there's there's a pernicious kind of dependency any new startups will have on one of these five. Yeah. That you have a where you have a you have a new dependency, but you also have a reduction in overhead at the same time. Right. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about before the difference between spinning up a droplet or going and racking a system. Right. That that is definitely true. Um, but there's more than just like droplets, right? There's app stores. There's sure. Sure. you know some of the more custom modules on AWS aren't just like running a VPS. I don't, I don't see, I think there's something different about this. And then, you know, everybody thinks that their time is different and I, I get it, but I think there's, there are more barriers upward than there were before. I, I can see what you're, like, I can see where you're coming from. And then I'm the, what, the thing that I can't stop thinking about either is how, uh, the internet itself is becoming more commercialized in the sense that you have, you have more and more consolidation in the U.S. of ISPs, and you have larger and larger monopolies controlling the Internet who have multi, multiple interests that conflict oftentimes. And then you have the, the, the shadow of uh, what's going to happen with net neutrality and how that's going to affect the market, which could just change everything too. So it's, yeah. it, feels like it, it feels like, yeah, things are not going in a direction that is conducive to the independent shop. Well, I would even say take it further, like, you know, in the 70s, IBM didn't even care about Apple so much so that they passed, right? They could have owned it yeah, because Wozniak worked for them. But, you know, they had a very simple business model of we make big computers. We sell them for lots of no, money. No, it was HP. It was company. HP. HP, rather. Yeah, 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 HP. Yeah. And now that is like the only people who have that very simple business model are little companies like mine, right? Yours, you sell ads and I sell development services and a bot license like other than that everybody's the bigger company's model is actually not a direct sale right in in most cases it's not you know they're not hiring a bunch of you know high you know commission sales they're not doing competing in the traditional way they're they're just owning the roads in a lot of ways they're collecting tolls right Uh, you know the economic term for this would be rent seeking right yeah, they're reoccurring revenue. They're all about reoccurring revenue. In fact, did you see the stat uh, from Apple's incredible financials that uh, they yeah, make more on services now than they do like several of their products combined, including iPad and um, accessories and, and some other like actual reasonable uh, actual physical goods? Now they make more money from services. It's all about that recurring revenue, don't you think? It's got to be. I mean, that's what Microsoft's all about. That's what Google's all about. Um, I think that's what all of this renting the product is about. And um, smaller businesses don't really have something to rent like that. They don't have – because these guys are making a ton of money because they get in the position where you depend on their services. So it becomes essentially to you like infrastructure. It could be more pernicious than that. It can actually be – and I think that's what the the folks at the TechCrunch article is about is doing. They can say, and that is a really good idea. But you know what? That would be a great feature of insert our platform here, right? Mm. Like Windows. And we will either buy you or if you don't allow us to buy you, well, we can do what took you a year to do in two months because we have lots of money and lots of manpower. Oh, and we get the benefit of basically just cloning what you did. Right. right, and, and it, it doesn't even have to be as good. It doesn't. It's just because if it's built in and it's default, you're pretty much good like, to go. Wh- wh- one painful lesson I recently learned is that like inbound marketing is a rich man's game. Hmm. Like really, it, it is. It is very hard, and and really not cost effective in my experience for a small company to work in the inbound marketing field in terms of like trying to generate business that way. Because it is one of those things where you have to like let it run for six to nine months. So, and, you, uh, yeah, go ahead. well, I mean, okay. So, uh, since we got to wrap here in a second, I, I wanted to just wrap the whole thing with: Do you think this is all doom and gloom, or is this not just the way it's always been for the independent worker? 
Well, it's sit back, constantly analyze the market, and then find the groove that you can probably dig out a little traction in and just go for that. Is that isn't that what it is? It's not really I mean, like, nothing. Yeah, nothing ends, right? So it's I think it's just another cycle. Yeah. And but I think we are going to be a long ways away from another, you know, like Cambrian explosion of little companies that become big. Yeah, yeah, we're a long ways away from like another smartphone revolution. We're dead, really. Like you, like for the rest of our lifetime, the best we can do is be SMBs, small, oh, unless we sell. Really, yeah. like, that is as far as we're going to go because the, it's just not possible. It, like even like I did my little tour of talking to VCs a few months ago. They all want to know: Are you targeting one of the, the big to sell to? Like that is the strategy now. So it, you know, the 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 goal now is like fifty person medium business kind of you know smb uh, you know yeah. lifestyle business would be i i don't need to sell and i don't need to be huge i just right. want to be able to do what i do and not be suffering so like i could be wrong but you know if we were going to see an explosion in like let's say ar companies we would have oh but then ar kit came out hmm. and strongly devalued that market right perhaps Perhaps I think I don't. We'll see. I again. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm only wrong about positive things. So, <laughs> well, in the meantime, where can people keep track of you online between shows? At Dumanuko on Twitter. There you go. There you go. And go check out uh, the Mad Botter. Right. I mean, come on, give a plug. Yeah, yeah. Mad at the Mad Botter Inc. Boom. Go check me out on the Twitter. I'm at Chris Les. The network's at Jupiter Signal. Our live time is Mondays. It's noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find that posted at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. You can also go to our new Discord channel, discord.me slash jupitercolony for the chat link. And then check out the new dedicated Coda Radio channel in there. We're going to use that for our live show. So if you're watching the video and you see a link scroll by, or you hear us reference something in the chat room after the show now, you can go back in between episodes and see the backlog. So that's a new dedicated Coda Radio channel in there. Pretty cool. Thank you for joining us so much on this week's episode of the Coda Radio program, and we'll see you right back here next week. Bye.